The Sports Career Podcast, episode 264, What is Effective Goal Setting? Hello Sports Achiever and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in coaching and also with regards to goal setting. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's episode, this week's special guest is a returning guest to the show, Joanne Love. Joanne is a high-performance coach, author, also the founder of Proactive Performance Australia, and currently the president of the Australian Swimming Coaches and Teaching Association. For that reason, it's such a joy to have Joanne back on the show. And in this week's episode, we'll be talking about Joanne's sports career journey and also how you can apply effective goal setting with regards to your sports career development. Joanne, it's such a pleasure to have you back on the podcast show. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I had you on season two of my show, where you're episode 63, and we all talked about leadership and coaching. Would you mind just sharing to the listeners just a little snapshot of your sports career journey? Everybody's listening, and I'll recommend re-listening to that podcast. It's brilliant because we talk about leadership principles in all sorts of coaching, but in particular with Joanne's expertise in the swimming world. But Joanne, just for the listeners who haven't heard of you before, could you just give a little snapshot of your career journey? Certainly. Gee, I'm pretty old, Ed. You know, it might take a bit of time, but I'll try and keep it very short. So um, in my early years, I started as a coach, so I did, of course, all the accreditations. It was a failure that I had with one of my top elite athletes who didn't make it to a team that he should have made it to, and that sent me back to do a psychology degree, Um, and then I went to help all those athletes, just not the individual athletes as part of a team, but every athlete there is. So I now work in the field of psychology. But in saying that, I'm very passionate about um, gender diversity. So I've been working on a lot of female projects in Australia. We call that Change Our Game in Australia. I know you've got different wording in England. And um, now I'm actually the president of the Australian Swim Coaches and Teachers Association. So I'm right at the top of the leadership chain in Australia, so to speak. So it's been an interesting and a long journey. I want to just quickly just tap into one thing that I'm just curious now, because it's been a while we've last spoken. You were part of an online event we did two years ago. But from a skill set perspective, looking back from our first podcast, what skill have you developed with regards to your career development looking back right now? I'm just curious. I think patience. We all want things to happen very fast. And I think sometimes we need to just sit back and and let things happen in their own time. That doesn't mean you stop doing things, but just be patient. And I think COVID's taught us all to be patient over the last two years with everything that's going on. And and eventually things will pick up. That doesn't mean we stop planning because as far as I'm concerned, you know, there's many things you can do while you're, you're sitting at home. And we did a lot of planning in the behind the back scenes. So, um, yeah, just patience is one of the big skills I think that I've learned over the years. 
Just touch on patience, because I know it's, we all know what it means, but when you said from planning behind the scenes, did you have like processes in place where it's like planting the seeds and then harvesting the rewards later? Is that what you mean with regards to patience as well? Yeah, most definitely. So I always do it the opposite way around. I always go for what's the end product I want to, to have and then work backwards. So what do I need to achieve that outcome? What skills do I need or what paperwork or collateral or whatever? And then work backwards from there to achieve where I need to start and then work from there. We're going to talk about this a lot more detail with your new book, <laughs> but I assume this relates to then having goals, targets. So you have the big target and then you work backwards to the current present of where we are now. Is that correct? That, just to get correct. some clarity, yeah. just get some yeah. clarity in. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to talk about your book very shortly, but there's one thing I do want to talk about because I've always been intrigued of different fields and you've already said you did a psychology degree. How did that support you after working with that athlete with regards to your coaching moving forward from that experience. I'm just intrigued on that point. If anything, that was the baseline. That was the start of a learning journey that has never stopped. So I realised there was a lot of things I didn't know. And, and that's probably one of the other things, I, you know, to all your listeners, don't think you know everything all the time because we've got so much that we can learn. And going back to uni, opened my eyes to things that I didn't know. And then I've just gone on from there. So now I'm sort of in, really intrigued by neuroscience and, and I do a lot of work in neuroscience, but I'm, I'm not doing degrees as such anymore. I'm, I'm just doing my own personal learning. And, and we've had some incidents here in Australia, especially pre-Tokyo 2021, not 2020, um, where we had some athletes that felt that they weren't treated the right way. So, you know, working with coaches to educate them better and bring them into the you know, the 21st century with a head rush because they're a bit slow, some of these older generation. And I think that's something that you learn from just going back and learning and, and getting on that pathway again. Just on one point on that, I love to talk about generations, not mention your age, but you said <laughs> you've been old and you've been here a while. But my question is on here, you said it already treating athletes the right way, but do you think generations have an, an influence to that of you know some of the older coaches due to their upbringing is different to the generations of being brought now like a simple example could be the use of technology and social media and how we are influenced to that so much more more than ever but 30 years ago in the world of coaching that technology wasn't as influential as it is now if that makes sense I'd love your thoughts on coaching yeah. with generation age if that makes yeah. sense so most definitely. So I belong to the generation, the baby boomers, so you can probably guess how old I am now. But, um, you know, we're frazzled. We, we know we haven't got long to go. We're saving for our retirement. So we're very short. And that relays over when we're talking to athletes. So it's something that our generation needs to be aware of. And then the next generation X, you know, they didn't have some of the things that the kids have now. So they feel a bit like this isn't fair. And, and you know, so again, they're a bit, reluctant as well and then we've got the you know generation y and and z who as you say are very tech savvy um, they can google anything they're very smart they they have a huge um you know i'm allowed to swear bullshit meter they know exactly when you're not telling the truth and um they pick up on it straight away but in saying that they're also less resilient and they're less resilient because of people like me so we didn't allow our children to walk to school. We stopped 
doing that and we drove them to the front gate. And then when they did something wrong at school, instead of saying, hey, did you listen to your teacher? We rushed into school and said, how dare you? You know, you didn't give my child a very good mark. What's going on? So their resilience level is a lot lower. And there's a lot of research now saying that, you know, if we put them under stress and we let them um, try things that, are, that have a little bit of fear, they're a lot more resilient. So I think we need to do a lot more work around that and get that resilience going back again. And people are resilient if they're allowed to, to try those things. Do you think we're a little bit, this is my sort of generation, it's too <laughs> convenient. Like, you know, we could just use a calculator to do maths instead of doing it by hand. Or um, another good example is, is, you know, we rely on so many different apps instead of just, you know, say meditation, we go, we've got to get the topest app. Actually, meditation is just sitting there or breathe. You know what I'm sort of saying? We, yes, yeah, we yeah. try and use a tool for our convenience instead of actually learning the lesson of, being when I say pushed I mean like this from a coaching perspective being like challenged to improve that certain skill and improve that certain task is that also relatable as well and do you think that's another reason why there's that disconnect of communication with the coach and that athlete as well and and we're also you know your generation and I don't want to pick on your generation they're scared to do some of these things that require things that aren't you know app driven or you know they're a little bit outside their league. They're just so used to the technology. If it's not technologically driven, um, they're a bit reluctant to do it. So even the fact of driving a car, I don't know if you know this, but the average age of getting your driver's licence has actually gone up, not because the age has gone up from the government, but because kids are reluctant to go out in a car because it's just a bit more hard to do. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. that, um, And I think coaches, and many coaches... We all have this thing that a lot of parents do and a lot of athletes do. They believe that the coach has to drive the experience. The coach has to keep them motivated. But if the athlete doesn't have that intrinsic motivation themselves, it's never going to happen. So, and I think that's something that's, you know, again, something that's happened to this generation and we've just got to change that shift and bring it back. And that's part of the reason why I wrote this book because that's what I was seeing. And I was seeing some, you know, very um, sad episodes that I just said you know that's enough let's do this research and and so the book is based on a lot of research when I've talked about it but really shortly but there's one thing I want to touch on as well which got my curiosity even more because I've had many coaches on this show and they say actually real coaching from a skills perspective happens really young but when you work with more the elite athletes it's not the coaching need it's more the guidance or the management of like let's say dealing with those big high pressured events mm. do you think that's still the case or do you think that coaching element is still important from a technical side to build that bond with the coach and the player if that makes sense uh, look coaching will never be lost because you've always got to give that feedback to the athlete about mm-hmm. things that they need to fix so there will always be coaches like you're dead right at an earlier age the coach is a little bit more dictatorial but at the older elite level they it becomes a partnership and you need to listen to your athletes and I think a lot of coaches don't do that so as part of that you know when we're talking about really elite athletes we need to take them on a safe journey and sometimes we sort of go to athletes we talk in a language that's like okay you're here but we want you to be up here and that leap is just too much for the athlete to understand so we really need to take them on a safe journey and the other thing we need to keep up with you guys so you know just the language that some coaches try and use you know the younger generation's language and when they use it it just doesn't seem appropriate or doesn't fit 
So, you know, sometimes we just need to sit back and, and ask. So I hear you using, um, you know, for me, we have this show in Australia and they were talking about gaslighting. And when it first came out, I'm like, what's gaslighting? I've got no idea. So, you know, ask your athletes what it's about. Just don't go and use it when you think you know what it's about. You know, have some humility and, and just show that you are a little bit vulnerable and speak in their language. So, and then a big factor is don't let your influence control what they're doing. And that's, that's a big one as well. Yeah, there's one coach on the show called Paul Asiente. You sparked while you're talking biggest lesson he had was humility uh, and he's a top coach um, with squash actually but he said it took me like 27 years Ed, to learn this lesson of being humble mm. of it's not about me it's about the athlete would you agree on that um, oh, with regards to being that yeah. humbleness as well yeah. just yeah. relating to your I'm, career and I think you've put it right on the head you know hit it right on the head with it's not about the coach it's about the athlete and so many coaches have this win at all costs they want their athletes to do really well but they don't necessarily think about the athlete and what they want and we've you know we've had some wonderful performances in Tokyo in the pool so on from swimming background of course and Kaylee McEwen who's a young backstroke who won both the 100 and 200 backstroke her coach said you know what's the most important thing for you at the moment and she said well hold on, my year 12 exams are the last year of schooling in Australia. So she actually cut right back and they wiped out going to the short course and the world championships in the years leading up to Tokyo because her school, schooling was so important. Whereas a lot of coaches just go, oh, no, you know, you're on this journey to the Olympics. You know, I know you've got year 12 coming up, but let's just push through it and work the best we can. And it's detrimental to both. It's detrimental to the athlete who can't focus on their schooling and it's detrimental to their performances you know, on the field or in the pool or wherever it may be, because their head's in one game and not in the other. I was so going to say, headspace must be huge yeah. for an athlete and the coach to have that effective partnership. Yeah, and I think that was a, a really good indication that, you know, you can do it. You can do both. Just give the athletes time and, and you know, they'll be happier for it and, and, and better prepared going in rather than trying to do both, you know, succeed and get top marks and exams and exceed and do very well in the in the their events so yeah let it happen and it sort of draws to today's conversation because let's stick to that swimmer with her school grades and performance in the pool it must relate to goal setting right so yeah. relate to today's podcast topic like what is effective goal setting and feel free to use that as a fun case study for the listener Effective goal setting has got three elements. So we all know about the SMART goals, you know, SMART, uh, measurable, achievable, uh, realistic and timely. So effective goals are the next step up. So they still incorporate some of those things, but they're effective. So effective is what's the strategy behind it? You need to have a well-planned out strategy. And so a lot of people sit down and they write out that goal of, hey, I want to do this by this time and achieve this, but there's no strategy behind it. So having an effective strategy, so the effectiveness is the first one, and then the focus, you know, what, what is the, what's important that you feel from this? Is it what you really want? So many times we have goals, and, and Kaylee's a great example here, we had, she wanted the goal of doing well at school, and we don't, you know, we, we sort of push that to the side for an athletic career, which is only a short period of time really in our whole life. You know, for an elite athlete, it could be only four to 12 years at the highest level. And we're pushing our other objectives aside for that one. So what's really important for you? What's your focus? What do you really want to do? 
And then the last one is, um, you know, the influence. What are your values and what do you stand for? So are you being influenced by others or are these exactly what you want? And I think, you know, I can use another example here who's um, Kate Campbell. When she went to the uh, 2016 Olympics, she was the, the odds-on favourite to win the gold medal. And uh, she got bogged down by, you know, you've got to win. We're expecting you to win. And, and she went away after that event and did a lot of work on her, her mind and sort of worked out what her values are. And she turned around and said, well, my, one of my values is fun. So if I'm going into an event and I'm not having fun, really, I shouldn't be here. So, you know, she knows what her values are. Another one of her values is brave. So every time she gets up behind the block, she says, am I brave? Rather than focusing on just the race, am I brave? She knows what her values are and she doesn't let people get, get let it get carried away again with, you know, oh, you've got to win this. You have to win. So um, just thinking about what those those three elements are and, and they're, they're going to give you the map that's going to provide the momentum and the motivation to keep you going. I find that fascinating. Just one thing on the strategy side of things, because you're talking about athletes, let's say swimmers for the Olympics, it's a four-year plan, right? Like for the next one, for the listeners listening in, they may not be competing <clears throat> for the Olympics, but would you give a suggestion of a time period? Like everybody does a yearly goals, I get that. But from your experience, what would be your guidance of time or is it just having a deadline in place i'm just curious on that point so i think i think covid's really opened our eyes up to the fact that we can change timelines you know you know we moved tokyo from 2020 to 2021 so we can move timelines so to me um you know an end goal is what your end goal is what you want for success so it doesn't necessarily need to be i want to win such and such by 2024 it could be I would like to be on the podium, you know, at an Olympic game. So it doesn't have to even have a year on it. But what you need to do is have that end goal. So what does success look like for me? Have that end goal. And as I said before, work backwards from there. So the duration doesn't matter. But what you need to do is you need to break it down into small steps. So um, Alicia Camplin, who was an Australian aerial skier, eight years, she spent eight years on her goal. And her goal was to be on a podium for the, uh, what was it, Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Games. And eight years out, she'd never, ever skied. So she sat down and worked out all the skills that she needed to be a, an Olympian, basically, and worked back from, backwards from there. And she actually rated it. So she said, a year out, I need to have 67 out of 70 of these attributes that she developed. And the first year, her baseline was like zero. So she had, you know, seven years to get up to that point and then the last year to, to get onto the podium. And she came away with a gold medal. So, you know, she's probably a fantastic example of, of backward planning and, and setting any goal as far as you can. One of the big things that we do or athletes do wrong is they pick goals they can't control. You can never control how another athlete performs. So your goal has to be controllable. And we see it in business, you know, KPIs and business are perfect examples of this, where they set goals that they can't control. You can't control if the stock market crashes. You can't control things. You can, you can control how many times you pick up the phone to make sales calls, but you can't control those other bits and pieces, depending on you know, what the investment scene is like at the time. So just remember that when you set goals, they've got to be controllable, something that you can control. I hope people are taking notes. So we've talked about the, you know, big goal working backwards, but 
I have learned to have daily goals or a daily yeah. target each yeah. day. I want to go the other route now. So we've yeah. got the big goal working backwards. What's your best suggestion? They've done the, the planning. Now they've got to get going. That big goal, as we said, you know, Lucia Campbell's example, she worked out all the skills that she needed, right, from finance through to psychology through to, you know, being able to ski, skiing lessons, um, you know, and what she needed on the side as well. So she broke it down into all those little bits and pieces. And it's the same with any goal. What do you need to do? Break it down and then break it down and break it down and break it down. So every time, you know, if you're even if you're eight years away, like she was, you can break it down into years, then break it down into three month period, into month period, into weekly periods, and then into daily periods. And, and the daily ones can be set like you do on a daily basis. So what do I need to do to achieve my goal? I think, you know, a great example of this was Jim Carrey. All he wanted to be was a, a, a fantastic comedian. So he put a big chart up on the wall and every day he just crossed off that he'd done something. It didn't, it didn't worry whether it was fantastic work or it was poor work. He just made sure that he did something every day and just all those little bits add up eventually to that big goal. Probably one of the most important things that you need to do is you need to set two goals that are quite achievable and then one goal that's a bit more of a stretch. So by, by doing two goals that are achievable, it, it sets off dopamine. And dopamine makes you a go-getter. It, it encourages you to do more. And so having those two that you can achieve boosts the dopamine, helps our memory as well and a lot of other things. And then it helps us to achieve that goal that's a bit more of a stretch. So best thing, two goals that are quite easily to achieve and one goal that's a little bit more of a stretch every day. If you can do that and keep that going through the whole process, your goals will be knocked over before you know it. You'll achieve them faster than you eight years like Elisa the Campion. So it's like you're building that muscle as well. Is that correct from a yes. sort of a mindset perspective? It's that muscle, which is I love that idea. On that note, what inspired you to write a book on this topic? Could you just share to listeners? the book's name, and also what inspired you to write it, because this is fascinating. I hope people enjoy the conversation as much as I am. Gold medal goals. <laughs> so it's got some tips from all the gold medalists, and it's not just swimming, it's, you know, athletics, rowers, all of them. So it um, talks about why I did it in the book as well. So part of the reason I went ahead and did this research was, as a coach, I had a lot of athletes who do really good swims. They come out with a fantastic personal best. And I'd say to them, oh, how good. Isn't that fantastic? And they go, no. And I'm like, you've just done a huge PB. What's the issue? And they could never tell you because they never had a goal. So what, we've, what I did with my research, I, I questioned um, what influence it had on their mental health. So we found that no goals whatsoever affected mental health the most. Smart goals were right at the tipping point. So if you had smart goals, you, some people were right on the border of going down the drain to mental health problems and others were just okay. And what we found is with smart goals, because the date was so, if you just set that one goal and the date was so far away, you know, probably back from your days at school, you've got, an, you've got a paper coming up, you do it at the last moment. You never plan it out and do it when you should do it at the start. That's the same for these smart goals. That's the same effect. So boredom kicks in, we don't do anything. And that's why there's that mental health issue. And we found that those with effective goals, and they were usually the Olympians, those who perform really well have the effective goals. And they were the ones with the best mental health. 
So I was seeing the mental health issues in, 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 as a coach in my career and it was that that set me off on the, the research and, and the research basically backed up what I was saying. So that's part of the reason that I wrote the book because I think, there's, um, I think we need to help our athletes now set goals in a better way and understand it. Wow, just really quickly, with all the athletes you've done, just from a big picture now, was there a similarity from the, forget about the sport itself, just a similarity with all these athletes? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just so, intrigued, so, yeah. So, so the test is still available online. So it's on my website, Proactive Performance Australia. You can go on and do the test yourself. And um, what we found is there's actually, it was actually interesting. So yes, um, the mental health is still affected from people who don't set goals well, regardless of what sport. But the other thing that we found is that the younger the athlete, the more they were influenced by other people on what their goals were. So that was a big one. They were doing sport for not their own reasons, which were what we spoke about earlier on with coaches who might say, hey, I can see that you're going to be an absolutely fantastic runner. Come on, let's get training. And it's like, you know, you, this athlete might be going, I just want to enjoy it. I just want to run for fun. And they're, you know, set off down a path and their parents get involved and, and um, that's when they start to don't like what they're doing and get unhappy and, and have the issues that they do have. So, um, you know, it's hard when, when the ego kicks in, you know, when they're told they're good, it's hard to stop that as well. So, yeah, so I think that's a really, that was probably the only thing that we did see, the age difference in the influence. So the older the athlete, so we're talking athletes at 40. So we've actually got um, just everybody, everyday people doing this test now as well. The older they are, the less influenced they are by others. And, and this is, doesn't just apply to sport. It apply, uh, applies to everything in life. So, you know, picking what subjects you want to do at university. Sometimes we're influenced by our parents in what we go forward rather than what we really want. So I, I always like to, you know, now I, when I work with students at school, I challenge them and say, so pick a subject that you do like, find a magazine on that, look at the problems that are in that magazine, which one would you like to solve the problem to? Or think of a problem around that, what would you like to solve? And that sort of steers them in the right direction of what they should be doing and what they really enjoy. Because it's, you know, it's got to be stimulating to you. If it's not stimulating, you know, there's that flow, as you probably know, from... Michaeli um, Chek Michaeli, who said that you know it's it's skill, and you know being in the flow, you've got to have the right amount of challenge and, and the right amount of skill. So something you love and the challenge. Just on that point, you got got me buzzing now because I remember when my father said, "What? Why did I pick PE?" And it was just because I found learning about the Olympics fascinating, the history of the Olympics, which probably inspired me to keep doing this podcast show in regards to just that curiosity, but. On that point of interest, as I call it, students like whatever career you want to go and have the interest, I assume that's the benchmark that keeps you more resilient when you have those tough periods. Yes. Is yeah, that yeah. As, well, as well? I relate that to an athlete, but I, from my experience, when I've had that interest, it doesn't matter what knocks I've had along the way, the interest is kept consistent yeah. because I've always had that intrinsic motivation. So is that the same of your point? You're saying whatever sport they choose, you know, having that, let's say the value's fun, so we've already discussed that previously on this conversation, doesn't matter if they lose, they still enjoyed the performance 
win or lose that makes sense um i love your thoughts on that we see that all the time with the the elite athletes in particular and a lot of you know reporters will go to them and say oh you've had to sacrifice this this and this to to be this and they'll turn around and say it's not a sacrifice it's a choice they've made a choice because they want this that they don't see it as a sacrifice if they if that's really what they want to do so finding out what you really want to do and why you want to do it is really important and that's part of this, you know, the strategy in the book too, to help you uncover some of those things. So a good thing, a good question to ask yourself is what's something you would never want to do? So if, if say you picked a career as a, uh, you know, a butcher, for example, if you never, ever wanted to cut the head off something, I know it's sounding gross now, but anyway, um, if it's not what you want to do, it's not going to happen. So think about the, you know, what are you not prepared to do? So work the other way. What are you not prepared to do? If you're not prepared to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning, you're not going to make a swimmer. If you're not prepared to, you know, give up your weekends, you're not going to make a competitive athlete. So what are you not prepared to do? And that will help guide you as well. So that's, a, you know, another tip for when you're setting your goals. And, and these athletes, as I said, they, they've made that choice. They know that that's the choice they've made and they're happy to do it. And just from an athlete perspective, because it's part of being an elite athlete, they get injured. What's the process then? So they may have their goals in place, but then, you know, depending on the injury, I said ACL, which is very common in majority of sports. What's the game plan then? I'm just curious on that point. So the other thing with goals, they should be constantly reviewed always. And, um, you know, so whenever you're setting goals, you also should look at the obstacles that you're going to encounter. So the obstacles for an athlete, you know, could be an injury or, you know, now we can add COVID to it. We can't play for six months. Um, You know, so there's always going to be these things. So what is the backup plan when that happens? So if you've got a backup plan ready to go before this happens, you know exactly what you're going to do. So, you know, the backup plan may be, hey, I'm, you know, my knee's injured, might be time to work on my upper body or my technique with something that's upper body or it could be time to work on the brain or you know have this plan ready to know what you're going to do when you do get injured so what's the most likely injury will you'll get well if you're a soccer player yes it could be a, the ACL or an ankle injury or something like that um, if you're a swimmer it's probably going to be shoulder injury um, you know so think about what is the most likely injury that would occur and have that what we call that if pl- then plan ready so if something happens, then this is going to occur. And once we've got that in our head, the brain takes over. You actually don't have to think about it. And then you don't get that worry, oh, you know, I'm going to be six months off the game or however long it takes to recover. You actually got a plan ready so you know and you're a lot more positive and you, you don't go down that slippery path of, you know, getting depressed over it. Just on the review cycle, we've sort of done big picture, small picture of daily what would be your suggestion of a, a review period? Oh, for me, I like to review every month. So okay. it's a monthly, monthly process. Um, a lot, that's just me. <laughs> a, a lot of people do six monthly or yearly. But mm-hmm. I, I think minimum, to me, I think minimum should be three monthly. So if you can just come back a little bit and do three monthly rather than six in a year, that way you can just adjust. And that's a good thing about effective goals. They're not set in stone. You can adjust. And the brain wants to have something positive to look forward to in the future. 
we're a prediction machine. We we want to know what's going to happen in the future. That's why we're so upset with COVID because we can't, we don't know what's going to happen. And that's why this uncertainty causes this unease or, or the jitters that we get. So if we can start planning and, and just putting down processes and, and, and ideas for what we'd like to do or, or write a book or, or whatever during COVID, um, you know, or whatever's happening, we're ready. And that three months is, is to me, the optimum period. A final question, because this is probably a big one. Like they always say with fitness goals in particular, they set them first of January and then it comes to February and they give up, right? So I'm curious on this point of your thoughts on fear and distractions. I get about the uncontrollables, but I think a lot of the reason I've had to put my hand up looking back even this podcast show a little bit, it's been fear and some distractions of other work that stopped me achieving a certain goal. I love your thoughts on that, if that's okay. I think it's neither. I think it's laziness. Oh, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> so they've done some research on this and they found that the people that don't set goals, it's not because they don't have the time or they, you know, it's they're too lazy to actually sit down and, and work them out and do them properly. So I think it's an educational piece. The other side I see to it too is um, we're told we can do anything or be anything in the world now. And so we're reluctant to make a choice or pick something specific in case we miss out that FOMO, that fear of missing out. So I think it's a combination of those two things. When it comes to, I understand what you're saying about fear. So I'd put sort of put FOMO in the distraction box. Fear is because you haven't planned out your goals well enough. So if you've broken them down enough, you should be able to say, what's the first action step I need to do? So if my goal is to, you know, and I've broken it right down to, I'll use the example of writing a book, you know, I want to publish by a certain day and work backwards. Okay, the first thing, what's the first action thing I need to do? Well, I need to plant myself in the chair for 30 minutes and I'm going to set a timer. I'm not going to move from this chair whether I write something or don't write something. So that's that sort of gets rid of that fear straight away. It, it takes away that fear. So if you've planned it out well enough, you won't have that fear. I think we have the fear because we haven't got joined the dots in between. And because they're vague, that's where we go, oh, what's going to happen here and what's going to happen here? Because we haven't planned it out well enough. I hope people are taking notes and Joanne's called me lazy, which is even better. I need to improve myself for our next podcast chat. No, that's really good. No, jokes aside, um, you've got me on edge, which is great because I think you're right. Um, reflecting what you said about the book and you sitting down for 30 minutes, what you've taught me is building that habit. As James Clear said of Atomic Habit, you know, you have a, uh, I think he said a stimulus where you do an action to stimulate the task you're going to do and sitting down is the trigger for you to then write the book where you sit there for 30 minutes in the quiet. Um, but you know what I mean? It's that habit of achieving your book, you know, or starting the process of writing your book, I should say. Um, where can people grab a copy of this book? Where's the best place to go? So the best place to go is to the website and that's Proactive Performance Australia. It's a big, big one, but Proactive Performance Australia or simpler one is my name. I've got two websites, joannelove.com. So Proactive Performance Australia com and um, I've got three books to give away so if you'd like to link on or link to me on LinkedIn I'm happy to give away those three books to the first three that connect 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll have that right. We're not finished yet. We've got a few more questions, <laughs> but um, all with the book giveaway, that's awesome. Uh, I love doing that sort of stuff and take action if you're listening to this. Just a couple of more questions. I'm just curious now, Joan, what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey looking back right now, particularly from our last podcast? I'm just intrigued of that segment of time of what you've enjoyed during that period. I think, you know, since I last spoke to you, uh, my change, my slight change in career. So as I said earlier, I'm now the the president of the Swim Coaches Association and I've been um, working with people that I've never worked with before. So it's a whole new audience, not not for me, you know, helping them succeed, but, you know, just being the president of an organisation, I've had to meet a lot of people that I would not normally meet. So um, that's been, I think that's been great and you know, dealing with ministers in government and speaking to them and getting doors open for our organisation during COVID. So that's been a, a new challenge um, and a different different to what I normally do. So I've enjoyed that immensely. Just a secondary question, just curious now again, has this new role got you out your comfort zone in a good way of doing something oh, slightly different? Yeah, most definitely. Definitely out of my comfort zone and, and more learning. So now I've had to, you know, step up and learn more about boards and governance and, and knowing those ins and outs. So that's a whole new ball game of learning for me, which, um, yeah, out of my challenge, out of my comfort zone, doing media conferences, et cetera. Been interesting. Wow. So how about the communication side? How has that adjusted for you used to doing athletes or swimmers to now this new range of people? Like, I'm just curious on the communication standpoint, have you had to just the way you've communicated a bit differently in this new role? Uh, most definitely, with, with, especially with media, because you've got to be very succinct in what you say. And, um, you know, I sort of tend to waffle more than not. So, um, you know, that's been an interesting one. You know, you can't give your stories to back up your evidence or things like that. You've just got to say the facts, keep it very short, sharp, and, and get it through very quickly. Probably the big thing too is learning more about those people so you're prepared for those interviews. Um, some people are very data driven, so you, you're best if you can go find out whether they're data driven or, or, you know, how they like certain information. And that will mean that you have a better interview when you do do it. Absolutely. Look, I hope people have enjoyed this conversation. But as always, I like to finish with an inspirational one. Out of interest, what three qualities do the listener needs to be able to pursue a career in this sports industry? I think probably my number one is openness, openness to change, openness to see new things, to try new things. Um, that would be my number one. Um, number two is we're never perfect. And I think, you know, it's always good to hear the feedback and take the criticism on board. Don't take it to heart. What can you do better with it? How can you improve yourself from it? Whereas we always sort of go, oh, that, you know, we failed, we're terrible, you know, give up, go away. But don't do that. Take it on board. What can you learn from it? How can you improve? So that would be my number two. And my number three is always be happy and smile. You know, I know there's going to be days where we are sad and there's challenges, but if you can always put a bright spin on things and see it in a different light, you're going to be a lot better for it. And it boosts that dopamine, which we talked about earlier. A smile does that. Um, I hope people are taking notes on that. And honestly, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And I know you've mentioned your website already, but 
just for listeners listening, where are the best places to connect with you on social media? Well, Joanne Love on LinkedIn. Um, that's probably my number one go-to. Uh, other than that, uh, proactiveperformanceaustralia.com. And then there's also joannelove.com as well. If you're, if you're searching for the book, you've got to get the book. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can buy it off those two websites. Fantastic. To all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website with regards to this podcast chat. Joanne, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ed. Thanks for having me. What a fantastic podcast chat with Joanne. And it was such a joy to have her back on the show. With regards to this week's podcast topic, I hope you've got a better understanding about how to achieve effective goals with regards to your sports career development. Like, I really do hope this conversation with Joanne can help you with your goal setting. Like, I have to admit, goal setting is something I do every year. I read so many books on the subject to be better at it, so I'm more focused, more disciplined. But the biggest takeaway I've taken from Joanne, which really hit home to me about effective goal setting is making sure it's a controllable. Whatever your goal is, make sure that you can control the action to achieve that goal you desire. Because there's there's times in my sports career development, I would have to be honest, I've set goals, but they're more dreams because the action wasn't a controllable one. And to me, that was my biggest takeaway. But I really do hope you found this podcast helpful. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on LinkedIn, on Twitter or on Instagram at edbowers101. They're my handles with regards to your biggest takeaway from this conversation, which you will apply to your sports career goals, whatever they are. But I hope Joanne is giving you that framework so you can put it into action. And without a doubt, make sure you grab a copy of her new book because she has used athletes, which I think are some of the best role models to follow with regards to achieving goals because pretty much all the athletes I follow from golfers, from Olympians, they all have a season game plan with regards to what they want to achieve each year with regards to their sports performance. Even if you don't want to be an elite athlete, you can follow the blueprint which you can apply to any area of your life that is meaningful to you. That's the whole point about goals is you you set targets, you set goals that are relevant and meaningful to you and then you've got to hit them to achieve what you want. So I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast chat as much as I have. But right at the end with regards to the sports career tips, I really hope you put them into practice, particularly with regards to smiling more. It's been one of my favorite tips actually on the show that smiling does increase our dopamine that make us feel good so I really do hope this podcast has made you smile which you can then put into practice to your sports career development now and make it happen now as always at the end of each podcast episode I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker Joanne said set a big goal that you can control and work out all the skills you need to achieve it